And so today I want to welcome Ella Monaghan. Ella is going to come and do today's talk. So welcome, Ella. Come on. I'm going to pray for you. Thanks. <laughs> Would love to. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gift of being together. Thank you for all that's already happened, all the things we've seen and participated in. And Lord, just in this moment now, we, we thank you afresh for what is happening in our midst, Lord. Thank you for all the mahi, the work, the prayer, the care that Allah has put into this moment all week long. Thank you for the time she has set aside. Thank you for the things she's dug deep into. Thank you for her prayer and her petition. Thank you for her listening to your spirit that right now she would be able to share something that would be good and nourishing for our souls. So Lord, we open our hearts, we open our eyes, we open our ears to hear from you. Lord, would what she brings be the word of the Lord to us this morning indeed. We pray for this. Lord, use her, bless her. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, well, this is the first time I've ever done this. If you knew me back in 2016, it was well and truly a backseat bandit. Uh, so this is really something. Um, and um, when Dan asked if I, if I would do one of these talks, I, I have the book and I was looking through the various chapters that I could perhaps speak from. And um, looking at one that was sacrifice must be greater than privilege. Privilege, a pretty loaded word these days, pretty scary. I, I stayed away from that one. Um, <laughs> And so, but I just, I got to thinking, and I was really sitting with um, the talk that Alicia gave a few weeks ago, as she kicked the sermon series off, and I was thinking about actually the weight of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's call to, this is weird also, trying to talk to both of you guys, hello, um, thinking about the weight of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's call to, to resist um, the Nazi movement. Because I feel like it's really easy in 2020 to point at Hitler and to name him and shame him as evil. And it's really easy to think about people in Germany at the time and even the German church that was in many ways complicit and look at them with disgust. But then you think back and you think, man, Hitler and his government's policies were way more popular than any form of politics that we have seen in our lifetime. So many of your friends and your families at that time probably were in support of the Nazi regime, and if you stood against it, it had a cost. We know where Dietrich ended up. He was executed for his um, beliefs, for his resistance against um, the Nazi regime. And so I just wondered, would I have had the courage to do the same? Um, last week, Dan spoke about sacrificial love, and he spoke of consumer love and selfish love that is propagated everywhere throughout our society. And it's drilled into us that that's actually what love is. Self-love is celebrated, not selfless love. Um, I've got a wedding in less than a month to Mike. It's great. Um, but I'm already feeling pretty aware of my selfishness. And um, I'm pretty also aware that to have a good marriage, I'm going to have to exercise a whole lot more of sacrifice. So whether that is just spending more time at the beach so Mike can surf and foregoing my hikes in my beloved mountains, um, I can already feel the weight of putting him first. Both of those things, having the gumption to be on the right side of history in Nazi Germany and loving sacrificially, are costly 
And the Bible is not short, I'm sorry, not um, shy about coming forward on this topic. Luke 14, 26 to 33 lets us know pretty frankly that there's a cost to following Jesus. This is um, from the, the message, which is the paraphrase of the Bible. It says, One day, when large amounts of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost so you know that you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle with another king, first deciding whether it's possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? If he decides he can't, he won't, won't he send an emissary to work out a truce? Simply put, if, we're, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. I feel like that's pretty serious. Plans and people. So where on earth do we get the strength to do that? In some form of a spoiler, I'm going to tell you a bit of my story. Um, some of you will know it. Some of you won't. Some of you would have been really close to it and you might have seen the external stuff, but here's some of what was going on internally. Um, in Community Hall 1.0, which was over in Mercury Lane, she's gone now, making way for a station, which is great, um, there was a prayer week in early 2018. At that time, I was newly engaged um, to somebody that I considered the perfect man. Um, he wasn't. He was a broken man, um, and I was in a broken relationship. But all I could see at that point was perfect. Um, somehow, honestly, by some miracle, I got myself to the hall for a prayer week. I signed up for a solo spot, and as I arrived, probably stopping for the first time I had in years actually to check in with God, I literally expected this big, like, giant hand to just come through the ceiling and just give me a big whack for my behaviour. <laughs> um, because, I'd, yeah, I'd been living in an alternative way, and, um, and that is, gives you a pretty good glimpse of how I viewed God. I thought he was temperamental, I thought he was judgmental, I thought he was pretty scary. Um, Throughout my hour in that hall, I encountered the direct opposite. Um, I encountered a God who is love. Um, I experienced the love of God. I, I felt it, and I knew it right down to my bones. Um, I felt completely secure in the knowledge that he knew me and he loved me. And that love and security, frankly, outshone the love and insecurity that I found in that perfect relationship. So over the following weeks, in that knowledge now of a good and a loving God, I handed over the relationship to God, saying, your will be done. It wasn't easy. That was a painful process. Um, but it was possible, and it was such a joy to do that, rather than holding it removed from him, who I thought was the scary, judgmental God. Um, out the other side, that relationship long dead in the water um, and seeing the true nature of actually what I was in, um, I called God good, merciful, kind, loving. 
Um, since then, this is the God that I've experienced in my life, and my vocabulary for him just continues to expand in the truth of who he is. But I've been considering, why did it take me two years to get to that point of surrender, of that relationship to Jesus? Um, because I, like, I wasn't a non-believer or walking in the world, whatever. I, I was in these seats. I've been in this hall since January 2016. So that hall moment wasn't my coming to faith moment. Um, that happened in 2009. Um, in 2009, Jesus became my saviour, but he didn't become my Lord. And I think that is where the word control comes in. I think I was Lord of my life. I was in my mid-twenties, time to be focusing on developing my career, time to live in the right suburb, time to try the latest restaurant opening, time to wear the right labels, time to find a serious relationship if I want to be married by the big three O. So Perfect Man helped me to tick one of those big boxes for me. I was right on track. We got together at 26. We were in, I was engaged by 28, could be married by, thir- by 29 maybe, have a kid by 30. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but I think come February 2018, just before that whole experience, you could probably tell I was exhausted. Um, I was a skinnier version of myself. My stressed body just couldn't keep the weight on. Um, I wore really dull colours. I was a colder and harsher and, and snappier version of myself. Some of my flatmates from that time of year, they can know this. Um, yeah, I, I was, in many ways, I was lifeless, um, but I was in control, and everything was on track. So on that day in community hall, only in the knowledge of God's goodness could I actually bear the cost of giving up perfect man in this desire of being married pre-30. Only then could I actually managed to relinquish my control and, and hand it over to God so Jesus could finally become Lord as well as Saviour. Um, earlier this week, I read this on Strawn's Commoners Communion post. Cultural power has replaced our spiritual trust, exhausting us in a battle of our own creation. Um, yeah, if you were here two weeks ago, you saw the stats from Alicia. Christians are leaving their faith in Jesus behind in droves. And so this is happening. Just because we're sitting in church seats, it doesn't mean we're immune. Cultural power is replacing our spiritual trust. And it's a tragedy because Jesus does promise a way where his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what's the alternative? Exhaustion and a battle of our own creation. And that's why I want to talk about control today. I, I want to look at why we hold so tightly onto the reins of our lives and how I think that's the antithesis to trust in God and why, without trust in God, I, I don't know how we'll be able to endure any cost he asks of us. Um, I don't know if we would be on Team Bonhoeffer. I don't know how we then love sacrificially or forgive endlessly or continuously extend hospitality. Because I think without knowing and deeply trusting that God is good, how can we do what is required of us to be a disciple of Jesus? How can we take what is dearest to us, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye? So, I want to start with our identity, 
because, after all, that's at our core. It drives our thoughts, it drives our feelings, it drives our behaviour. And to just get a little comparison or appreciation of the cultural moment that we sit in, um, I want to pop back to the good old days of the agrarian times. So in an agrarian society, most people lived in clans or really large extended families. You could grow up on the same land. You would probably inherit the trade of your mother or your father. You might probably pretty likely to remain, remain in the social, same social class. And bonus, probably marry your cousin. Um, everybody, everybody was connected. Too connected. <laughs> um, but they were connected because they actually relied on each other, because everything happened within their village. So, you know, you, you needed the, the village, I don't know, blacksmith, you needed a baker, you needed a nurse. And so your, your identity in this era was largely in relation to the role that you had within your clan. Um, in some ways, your identity was pretty predictable by what you were born into. Your family name probably related either to the profession um, that you would inherit or the land that you were on. And in some ways, your identity was fairly static. Um, let's quickly fast forward through the Industrial Revolution where for the first time production moved from, from within the homes to factories. Um, in this era, we moved away from our family land and we began to urbanise. We moved into jobs that perhaps didn't relate to your family um, trade. And another big one... Um, you're working outside of your village, so you no longer had so much reliance on your village folk to survive. So your identity may be no longer so static. So what's happening today? Well, um, things have shifted a, a huge amount again. Um, we are the late modernists. Not many of us work in factories anymore. A lot of us sit behind a screen. We're no longer primarily producers, but we are consumers. Um, we typically live really far from our families or at least the land of our ancestors. The home unit is typically pretty small. It's the nuclear family or um, in urban cities often it's people living alone. And here's a big one. You can actually get through your day without any relational reliance on another human being. They're still going to operate stuff but you don't actually need to have a relationship with them. We can change jobs, we can change our names, we can change our sex, we can change cities, we can change nearly everything. Our external factors are no longer so static, and with that comes a new level of fluidity in our identity. So I want to ask, what is forming our identity today? And we've got a little something to help. It's good, it's good, eh? It's actually inspiring. <laughs> um, love your dream until it loves you back. Here's the truth, that Nike shirt and those sneakers, then they're not going to get you to the big league. Um, but the Nike advertising executives, they know that. They're much smarter than selling the pros and cons of their product to you. Good grip, sweet wicking. Um, <laughs> we, were, like, we were so far past that now, and Nike are on the edge of ad advertising with this line, love your dream until it loves you back. We will buy Nike products because they are reinforcing fundamental beliefs that underpin our modern society, and we like that. Let's welcome Tim Keller to explain. He says, one of the most fundamental of the late modern narratives is that of identity, that we must discover our deepest desires and longings and then do all we can to realise them. Tim refers to this as the sovereign self. He continues, the modern process of identity formation tells you to go out and create a self from scratch. You must identify your dreams, especially the vivid ones, and fulfil them. 
love your dream until it loves you back. We live in a time where what you feel you are and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We live in a time where what you want and what you dream of you, you should have and don't stop until you get it, until your dream loves you back. Um, we live in a time that crowns freedom, King, freedom to be, say, do, you, um, freedom to assert your desires into society, to fulfil yourself regardless of what anyone says. In this cultural moment, we are not called to just understand our emotions and, and desires, and don't mishear me, Christians, you should examine your emotions and desires and redirect them to God, not enthrone them, as society says we should. What does this have to do with control? Well, here's the second part of the Tim Keller quote that I left out. Identify your dreams, especially the most vivid ones, and fulfill them, or feel like a failure. That prospect crushes those in many segments of our society where money, looks, power, success, sophistication, and romantic love all become not just good things, but necessary identity factors. We feel this pressure to form and control um, our identity through living our best life. You do you, boo. It's all there. And lucky us, we have a marketplace dominated by things and services that help us to control our lives in direction of achieving our dreams. Look at the success of the products that help us to control our schedules, control our reputation, control our image, control our daily lives, what we do, when, where, and how often. Um, so we're going to talk about the wee trifecta of modern society, choice, convenience, and knowledge. Starting with choice, um, we can customise our physical selves and our homes to the nth degree. Every choice we make is a statement about our identity. Dan, Holden or Ford? Oh, what do you drive? <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, where's Rob? Coffee or V? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we control our image and we differentiate ourselves by what we consume, and the choice is always abundant. Um, and, it's not, and it's not just things, is it? It's, what's, it's what we do. So with the invention of um, events on Facebook, we can now be invited to multiple things on one evening, and it's okay not to RSVP to any of them. Uh, what we're doing there is actually preserving our right to choose based on how we feel on the night, and perhaps assessing the amount of social capital that we're going to get from this one versus this one. I felt as if I actually offended a few people when I followed up on whether they could come to my wedding. So asking for an RSVP assaulted their freedom to choose. But what about when something that is good for us is suggested? Are we willing to hear that? Convenience. I love convenience. I think we all love convenience. Um, in Deloitte's recent holiday study, more than two-thirds of US adult shoppers said that they value price, product, and convenience above other considerations. And convenience, in particular, is becoming a much more important part of that equation. Um, they write, at its core, convenience is a human-centered experience that provides customers with a feeling of ease. When was the last time that you guys called a, a human taxi operator rather than an Uber? we do a quick demo. Oh, hi there. Yeah, can I please have a pickup? Yeah, I'm at number 63 Great North Road. Oh, no, no, no. Grey Lynn, not New Lynn. My name. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's um, Ella. E-L-L-A. Phone number. Phone number. Oh, it's the one I'm calling you on. Oh, you need it. Okay. 021-841-937. 
Um, oh, I'm going to Salera. Um, oh, I don't know the address. Uh, some, it's a new market, somewhere in Kyber Pass Road, I think. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's it. Do you know how much it will be? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, when will the driver arrive? Somewhere between 10 and 25 minutes. <gasps> um, that experience does not put me at ease. I'm not in control of much. In 10 minutes' time, I've got to go out to that curb and wait for 15 minutes and keep an eye on that to see if a car's going to come. I don't know how to call the driver of that car. I'd have to ring back the control centre and they'd have to put a page through or something like that. A fax, maybe. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I don't know how much it's going to cost me. I can't control what account that comes out of. don't know if the driver knows how to get there in this traffic. Um, on Uber, I can control the exact time I want to leave. I can control um, what account the money is going to come out of, um, where to get picked up and where to get dropped off. There's so much control and it's so convenient. Do you know there are five million apps available to download over um, Google and Apple platforms? Not one of those has been made to make your life more inconvenient. But what if something is inconvenient? Knowledge. Leash touched on this a few weeks ago. Dan, last week, there's a lot to say about it. Um, Leash talked about knowledge at our fingertips, endless amounts of it, that we go to our keyboard much more than our mates or our mum. Um, Dan talked about the 24-hour news cycle. And um, on Thursday this week, I didn't look at my phone for two hours while I was trying to write this. And by 5.30, I felt a bit embarrassed about my slowness to realise that there'd been another COVID community case in the news about 4pm, and um, our staff chat was already going off in response to this. Knowledge is power is a term that is tracked around a fair bit. And today, in our instant information age, that's actually true. Because if I'm informed, if I'm up to date, I can control my reputation because my, my ideas, my opinions, and my truth are my identity. But is knowledge wisdom? Whose wisdom? So choice, convenience, knowledge, the trifecta. I don't think those descriptions will have done anything to convince you that they're bad. And it's because they're not. They're actually okay. But their prominence and their prevalence in our world, I think, is evidence of us as a late modern society drunk on the wine of control. So the question that's been pestering me this week is if we're so used to being the masters of our lives, everything tightly controlled by us. I've given you some pretty crummy examples of like technology use, but like, let's be honest, there's things that run much deeper. Um, so if everything is, if we're so used to controlling everything and it's driven by our will and formed by our desires, how do we react to a God that calls us to submit to him, to obey him, to sacrifice for him, to genuinely say, Lord, your will be done, to say, I will follow you even when it's inconvenient, to say, your thoughts, Lord, are higher than mine, your wisdom. Cultural power has replaced our spiritual trust, exhausting us in a battle of our own creation. Philippians 3, 18-19 says, For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. When our minds are set by a culture obsessed with control, that we may live our desires, 
Can we even yield to God in the small things? Let alone give him our whole lives as an offering as we commonly sing in these seats? Our trust in God must be greater than our control. But how do we give him the reins? Do you know this book, this Bible, from the beginning to the end, is, it's actually a story of God making promises, often a covenant to, um, to, to his people. The next two slides are lists of these, of these covenant promises. Every one of these, God has fulfilled, and there's some that he is still fulfilling. He has never failed. And when you gave your heart to Jesus, you entered into a covenant relationship with him. Like many of those Bible people, you will sometimes make a pretty poor partner to God. But he is faithful to you regardless. His mercy towards you endures forever. His promise in Isaiah 58, 11 is this. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. We can't put a 2020 cultural lens on God. He's not flaky. He's committed to you. Now I wonder, do you trust that? Does that help you trust God? I hope, I hope it does. That helps me see those long lists that he's got a pretty good track record at keeping to his word. So far, A+, plus, perfect score. But if I'm honest, that's not going to be the thing. Not for me, at least. And so back to my spoiler, you heard my story. You heard how I described God. Temperamental, angry, judgmental. Um, I never would have told you that. <laughs> I would have been able to rattle off some words that I learned in Sunday school. I know what is appropriate to say in, in these church seats. But behind it all, that's actually what I thought. And I hope, like heck, that you don't have words like that in your vocabulary for God. Because the truth is, how we describe God directly influences how we live our life. Temperamental, angry, judgmental. It actually didn't matter how great the sermon was. There was no way I was trusting that God with matters of my life. Forget about it. I can now tell you that God is kind, that he is good, that he is loving, he is merciful. And my experience of knowing that to be true helps me to trust God with whatever the new thing is in front of me. And they don't stop. Um... But without you personally knowing that God is good, why would you trust him? So um, there's nothing I can say. I can't point at the table and say, that's God's character. Um, so to finish today, we're just going to have, um, we're going to finish with a prayer for one um, exercise. So under everybody's seats, there's, um, there's some pens and paper. Grab one. Um, and for the next wee while, we're just going to sit solo. Tools down, phones down, apart from Hunter. He's got his tool, that's great. Um, but it, this is a time for you to be in your own little isolated bubble. Um, and part of that is about respecting your neighbour's moment. Okay, so whoever's next to you, let them have that. Um, and I'm inviting you into, really, it's a time of confession. 
Um, on your piece of paper, I want you to write adjectives, describing words. How do I describe God? And my last thing before I be quiet for a few minutes is that this isn't a time for a Sunday school answer. Um, who, who would that serve? No one's looking at your paper. Um, yeah, put any of those kind of well, well-rehearsed adjectives, put them down and, and pick up the ones that are actually in your heart. Um, yeah, whether you think God's pretty cool or whether you think he's pretty cruel, maybe, doesn't matter, write it down. And I'm going to come back in a few minutes. We're going to have another um, few minutes of silence. And in this time, um, second part of the exercise, um, I want us all still remaining in our silent little bubbles to just ask, God, who are you? Show me an attribute of your character.
to finish today, we are doing what we always do. Um, we are coming to the communion table. And the, the act of taking communion is a, is a moment to remember Jesus, God, and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, my encouragement to you today is, um, is to take that adjective, maybe that you've just written down, of what God's character is to you. And as you take the, the, the wine or the juice and the bread, would you just pray to that God? Pray to that God. Whatever that adjective is to you. And as, as you take the bread and the juice, would that help to seal that in your heart? So I'm going to pray Psalm 37 over us and then um, just in your own time, go get the, the bread and the juice and, um, and we will come back and we'll take that all together. Psalm 37. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life and trust him along the way, and you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. He will appear as your righteousness, as sure as the dawning of a new day. He will manifest as your justice, as sure and strong as the noonday sun. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you.